This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's now time for Activate, a show brought to you by Amnesty International. This is Kerry. Thank you for joining um, me for this evening's Activate show here on Plains FM. I've got a really great interview for you this evening, or if you're listening to this on the podcast, um, whenever it is that you're tuning in. I'm talking to Louisa Wall, who is a List MP for Labour. She has um, she works for the Interparliamentary Alliance on China, which is an, um, a committee that works closely following what's happening in um, China in relation to human rights, but also building a relationship with China through trade. So there's a lot of issues that they cover, but um, we'll be in particular talking about the Beijing Olympics and the Uyghur minority persecution in the Xinjiang province. Now, um, we're going to come back to talk to Louisa in a future show as well, uh, probably in a month or two's time. So you'll be able to hear a bit more about her background and her story. But for this month, we're going to focus on the topical issue of the Beijing Winter Olympics. We'll also have an update from Catherine on human rights in the news. And um, yeah, that will be tonight's show. So thank you for joining us and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Human Rights in the News for the month of February. This is an article that was published in The Guardian on Sunday 13th of February and it centres on recent events that have been happening in Nicaragua. Former Nicaragua guerrilla who helped free Daniel Ortega dies in jail. Hugo Torres, 73, was among 46 opposition figures jailed by Ortega last year to clear way for his re-election. A former Sandinista guerrilla who once led a raid that helped free Daniel Ortega from prison has died eight months after the now president jailed him and dozens of other Nicaraguan opposition leaders. Hugo Torres died at hospital in Managua, the capital, of, quote, illnesses he had, end quote. It was unclear if his death was hastened by conditions in prison, according to a statement by government prosecutors. Torres, a leading commander of the 1970s Sandinista Revolution, had broken with Ortega more than 20 years ago to found the Sandinista Renovation Movement and was one of 46 opposition figures and presidential hopefuls jailed by Ortega last year to clear the way for his almost unopposed re-election in November. Prosecutors had justified Torres's arrest by charging him, along with most of the other imprisoned opposition leaders, with conspiracy to undermine national integrity. The prosecutor's office said in a statement that when it learned Torres was seriously ill, the office quote, asked judicial authorities to suspend the start of his oral public trial for humanitarian reasons, end quote. The trials, in fact, are not public and are held in prison, in many cases with only the defendant's lawyer allowed to be present. Some trials last only a few hours. 
After leading a revolutionary government following the guerrillas' victory, Ortega served as president from 1985 to 1990 and was re-elected to power in 2007. He has not relinquished power since then and his rule has become increasingly harsh, crushing any demonstration or opposition with police and soldiers. Torres was a guerrilla commander who fought alongside Ortega during the Civil War and later a general with the Nicaraguan army. He was part of the effort to transform the Sandinista popular army created after the rebels' 1979 victory into a professional Nicaraguan army in the 1990s. In a video he posted hours before his arrest in June, Torres said, Quote, 46 years ago, I risked my life to get Daniel Ortega and other political prisoner colleagues out of prison. I am 73, and I never thought that at this stage of my life, I was going to be fighting against another dictatorship, now more brutal, more unscrupulous, more irrational, and more autocratic than the Somoza dictatorship. Thousands have fled into exile since Nicaraguan security forces violently put down anti-government protests in 2018. International organisations have called the November 2021 elections a farce. Watch this space then for any further news about other opposition leaders' trials. On tonight's show, I am joined by Louisa Wall, who is a Labour MP uh, based in South Auckland. Hi, Louisa. Hello, Kerry. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing today? Actually, not too bad and uh, very much looking forward to having a cordial with you at this time. Thank you. No, it's lovely to have you on the show. And um, what I, I would have mentioned in the introduction to the show is that we'll be doing this over two parts. So in today's interview, we're going to talk about... Uh, IPAC, which you're involved with, and the Olympics and China. And in our next show, we'll hear a bit more about you and your background and interest in human rights. Okay. Wonderful. Sounds great. So could you just, I know we're going to talk more about your your human rights background in our next show, but um, could you just give us a little bit of background of just sort of where you are at and, and what you, your current role is? Sure. So I'm a Labourless MP based in South Auckland and my current roles within our parliament uh, is as a member of the Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade Select Committee. Uh, I'm also the chair of the, um, the IPU, uh, the Interparliamentary Union, uh, which was established in 1888 and our primary role um, is to ensure that parliamentarians are upholding the principles of democracy um, and I have a, a few other um, roles as well. Um, one of them I'm quite proud of is I'm on the international executive of the Global Equality Caucus, which is focused on LGBT rights. Wow. And I've also been quite active um, in uh, a campaign to um, enable West Papuans to have a free vote. Um, so there's quite a few different hats I've worn and historically I've also been the co-chair of our Commonwealth Women Parliamentarians group. Wow. So quite a bit of the work that I do has been based on um, my affiliation to to those groups and the, and the work that derives from being um, active within the context of those groups. Wow, that's quite a diverse portfolio of hats you're wearing there. 
I think that um, being somebody who um, fundamentally believes in uh, human rights and human rights, um, and from my perspective, uh, which is about my own identity. I mean, I'm a proud um, Indigenous uh, woman. I'm Ngāti Tūwhare Toa, Ngāti Heneuru Waikato, uh, and I also have connections to Ngāti Kuri. Um, I'm a cis woman. Uh, so very uh, passionate about uh, women's rights and addressing, you know, sexism within our society, uh, and also um, being a member of the of the LGBT community. So I'm a Takatapui. Um, I've been married uh, to my wife uh, for a long time now, over ten years. So yeah, I think when you come into Parliament with really um, clear. Um, identities, mm. uh, then it becomes quite incumbent on you uh, to represent those identities whenever there are issues mm. that need to be addressed and that certainly defines my parliamentary career to date. That's great. That sounds amazing, and um, you know, and and to to do all those um, work in all those areas, but also work so extensively, sort of in um, sort of your your parliamentary role, but also your role on IPAC, which is um, you know another another big part of your your time. I imagine, especially at the moment, I imagine it's taking quite a lot of your focus. Um, but just to so the that's the Interparliamentary Alliance on China, and I know we've talked to um, your colleague Simon O'Connor in previous shows about this. But I was just wondering, with the Olympics just wrapping up, um, where what's um, the sort of current moment in terms of IPAC and and what you're doing um, there, and maybe sort of the diplomatic boycott that's being sort of adhered to around the world by many governments. Yeah, so um, IPAC, the Interparliamentary Alliance on China, um, it's nearly two years now actually since both Simon and I became involved um, in this particular kaupapa. Uh, And my origins stem from uh, what was happening in Hong Kong, in fact, and uh, kind of a destruction of um, an international declaration, the the Sino-British Declaration, and, and just issues uh, related to um, rule of law uh, and undermining citizenship rights and taking quite an active role by signing, um, I guess, an international pledge mm-hmm. uh, where, as a parliamentarian, we're, we're asked to take positions on, on these types of international issues. Um, and so joining IPAC and being very clear that we have a role uh, in terms of um, upholding human rights and, as I said before, issues of uh, rule of law and um, ensuring that uh, there is some, I guess, collective response to some of these issues. So um, IPAC has been involved uh, in calling um, for a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics. So mm-hmm. from our perspective, it wasn't having any ministers or uh, government um, officials um, participate uh, in the Games. Um, We were very clear, however, that athletes should be supported uh, because the Olympic movement is is, is about unifying the world and bringing together um, best athletes in the world so that they can compete against each other, again, on a level level playing field where we can celebrate, I guess, the professionalism and the expertise of of our citizens. Um, But what became clear to us um, and you would appreciate as a parliament 
um, in 2020, we mm-hmm. have been very clear that um, possible severe human rights abuses are occurring in Xinjiang province, which affects um, Uyghur and other um, Muslim minority groups in the Xinjiang province. Uh, and there are detention centres uh, holding up to a million people. Um, and obviously, uh, from um, reports and from a particular uh, forum, the Uyghur Tribunal, um, we've seen reports released in December 2021 that essentially um, are saying that, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that. Um, Beyond reasonable doubt, there are issues of um, crimes against humanity and torture Mm -hmm. and also um, aspects of genocide uh, that can be verified based on the evidence that that tribunal um, has received. I mean, these are incredibly serious issues um, and we are trying to ensure that um, this evidence is understood and disseminated and in fact I had um, representations from the Uyghur community here in, in New Zealand uh, wish to participate in that process and in fact sent submissions uh, so that they could be included uh, in the evidence that the tribunal um, was able to then make these findings about. Mm-hmm. And do you feel with um, the Olympics there's there's light being shed on, on what's been happening in there's more of like a galvanising of the international community or do you think it's quite frustrating and 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 sort of seeing that kind of momentum build around this? I know it's a, a big area that's been in the news but it just feels maybe there's more media attention on it would be a benefit. Oh, I think the New Zealand um, perspective on what's happening in um, Xinjiang province and to the Uyghurs has been... Um, it, it has been um, part of, I think, um, the response um, to what's happening uh, by journalists such as Sam Thatchdeva. Obviously, Radio New Zealand, through Guy Nespita, ran quite a, an in-depth um, assessment of mm-hmm. our relationship to China. So I do think that New Zealanders are being educated and are being provided information so that they understand um, what is happening um, in that particular province. And I think from IPAC's perspective, our role really has been about asking questions uh, so that we're really clear about what our government response is to these types of evidence. Um, I think the biggest challenge uh, for us is that there hasn't been a, a court determination I mean, the Uyghur Tribunal has been um, a good exercise in terms of providing evidence, but mm-hmm. it's not a um, kind of a judicial process. It was chaired by Sir Geoffrey Nice, and obviously they've published the report. But um, I attended a, a webinar where he talked about the status of the Uyghur Tribunal and it um, very much being akin to a people's tribunal where the people have... Um, come together to highlight issues and to provide a context for, um, I guess, survivors of some of the um, detention camps that exist and and have been able to tell their own stories and those of their family members. Um, But what we've been waiting for uh, is the UN Human Rights Commissioner for Human Rights 
um, Michelle Bachelet's uh, report. And um, there was notification that it was imminent in December. Mm-hmm. And I think from our perspective, we had thought it would be released before the Olympics. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you've seen, but just in recent days, um, apparently uh, Michelle Bachelet has been invited to uh, visit, visit the Xinjiang province um, but after the Olympics. Right, And so we're in an interesting position because I think globally the, the world is waiting for evidence, if not from a court, then from the UN Human Rights Commissioner for Human Rights about what in fact is happening in that province. So maybe the issue isn't so much that people aren't talking about it, it's that it's hard to maybe quantify it or, or, or kind of evidence exactly what the situation is? I think um, the issue is uh, one of um, the veracity of the evidence. Mm. I mean, we're aware um, from a report that was produced in March 2020 from the Australian Strategic um, Policy um, Institute uh, that looked at you know, foreign and Chinese companies and labour transfers. So mm-hmm. um, there's about a million Uyghurs that have been... Um, identified as being detained in these so-called education camps. Uh, but there is evidence that Uyghur um, are being used as slave labour mm-hmm. uh, in factories in nine uh, provinces um, dispersed around China. So issues of modern slavery have been highlighted. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think the, the real issue is about... Um, who makes those determinations, how they make the determination, where the evidence comes from, I guess some scepticism about what's driving it. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously international uh, human rights organisations, Amnesty and others, uh, who are wanting to um, highlight these appalling issues because from, um, I guess, their perspective and our perspective as IPAG, uh, we can do something about these atrocities and we should be doing, um, you know, concrete things to address these appalling human rights abuses. And that's where um, an assessment about um, our um, legislation, I mean, yeah. do we have fit-for-purpose modern slavery laws that will ensure commodities are not entering our supply chains that have been produced by slave labour? Yeah. And, and in fact, the reality is we don't. Um, but what I'm reassured about is that um, the Minister uh, of Labour, Michael Wood, has convened an expert group. And in fact, um, he's waiting on a report from that group about what New Zealand um, needs to do to ensure that we do have a fit-for-purpose legislative regime that will ensure uh, we aren't um, contributing to, to modern slavery. Um, there are other pieces of legislation that have been highlighted, um, one, of, one of which is um, an autonomous sanctions regime so that we're able to, in fact, use the intelligence we have to ensure that businesses who are using um, slave labour are not able to you know, practice in their business in, in our country and that we are not purchasing products that are actually contributing to modern slavery. So, um, you know, and, and that regime will ensure people can't invest in New Zealand and they're not able to uh, invest 
um, money that they've derived from corrupt, what we think, say is corrupt means, mm-hmm. um, and in fact infect our economy. So a yeah. lot of these issues other jurisdictions have addressed. Um, the most recent, the, an update dated autonomous sanctions regime. In fact, the Australian Federal Parliament only addressed this issue in December 2021. So I yeah. think close to home, there's a lot of opportunity for us to learn from from what our Australian colleagues have done to make sure that they have the mechanisms available to them so that we're very clear yeah. um, that when there are issues of, of modern slavery and crimes against humanity uh, and, in fact, genocide, that we can do something about it which is tangible and will, um, I guess, put a stake in the ground in terms of what our our values are um, and how we want to be a good global citizen, how we want to uphold human rights and promote trade that is fair. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, they're all the aspirations of, of IPAC, which is why I've been, um, you know, very committed to um, ensuring New Zealand was included as a member of IPAC with my colleague Simon O'Connor. Yeah, that's that's great, and I think it becomes a bit more tangible to people when they can see supply chain um, issues, something they can kind of do actively rather than, um, you know, they can choose not to purchase a product or, or to sort of see that uh, link to slavery eliminated from supply chains. That feels like something tangible people can get behind as well. Oh, and, and that's the point. And there are organisations that can do those, that forensic assessment and mm-hmm. um, tell us, for example, you know, what percentage of, uh, cotton from Xinjiang um, is in our garments that yeah. are sold here in New Zealand and what you know companies are doing whether they be farmers or the warehouse or so what um, reassurance they've, they've been given from uh, the people that they're purchasing this merchandise from and in fact is there a, a way um, to be able to ascertain uh, just how much of that product is in our in our um, in our country and uh, I think you're right I think the discerning consumer um, wants this information so they can make really good purchasing decisions and be really clear that you know there is an ethics and ethical practice um, that will make sure that New Zealanders have that information so we can make informed decisions um, about what we don't support in this instance and I think the same for investment yeah, you know, I think companies are going to have to be um, uh, able to stand scrutiny from those who want to invest in them. So they're going to have to prove uh, in their annual reports that they have the auditing process in place and that they um, have policies and procedures which will stop those, you know, those supply chain issues in the first place, but also to respond um, if for whatever reason, um, information becomes available that they are, are in fact, um, by virtue of purchasing those those products or commodities, actually um, actively participating in, in modern slavery, which obviously is abhorrent and we must do everything we can um, because it does undermine um, a rules-based order. Um, it does undermine our trade policy, which is all about um, a trade-for-all agenda. 
So yeah. we're trying to support, you know, fair labour laws to make sure that workers are paid um, a living wage yeah. uh, and that we have the resources collectively to be able to, you know, pay for the basics and lead good lives. I mean, this undermines all of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, it's uh, an issue I'm sure we could talk about all evening, but um, that, that kind of wraps up today's show. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. I think this is something Amnesty will be talking about and campaigning about for some time, and I know you and Simon will be working hard to um, continue to deliver outcomes with your work with IPAC. So thank you for joining us and telling us all this information. Um, and, and people can find more out about IPAC on, is it IPAC.global? Yes. I think if you just Google IPAC, it comes up and there's lots of information about um, our initiatives, a lot of press releases that we've released, mm-hmm. letters that we've sent to to ministers and the, and, and the principles and values that really drive us. Um, and I know... Um, and I hope people know that, um, you know, these issues um, have united a, a large cohort of MPs across the world to work together um, to, to stand um, in solidarity with one another, in fact. Absolutely. And that's really important. And that's great. We couldn't agree more. Thank you, Louisa. And um, we'll look forward to hearing more from you in our next future show. Jada. Thank, Thank you, Kerry. Thank you very much for joining us for this evening's show. It's been a pleasure to talk with you this Monday evening in February and um, we'll be back next month. Um, thank you also to Plains FM and all the team in uh, production behind the scenes here. We really appreciate everything you do and uh, we look forward to you joining us next month for our March show. Thank you. I want you to get together.